Masechet Nedarim Daf Mem Bet, we discuss a very interesting case regarding Shivilit. If I own a field and then I make a bow and I say, you cannot have any benefit from my field, well then you can't come into my field, you can't walk in, you can't trespass, and certainly you cannot take fruit from my field. But what if the Shivi'it year comes, in which case all the fruit in my field is hifked, it's uh, ownerless, and everyone can come. So then you're not benefiting from me directly. Uh, this is all ownerless property. So then can you come and take the fruit from my field, and can you trespass and walk into my field? So it depends on some factors. Here we go. Hamudar hana'a One, an owner of a field uh, tells his friend, uh, well, then maybe they're not friends anymore. You cannot have any benefit from me. And he makes that vow before Shivi'it starts. In that case, the friend cannot enter the field and cannot eat from that which grows in the field. Um, now, it's not clear when he's not allowed. Certainly, before Shivi'it starts, well, then no one would have any disagreement about that. It seems that even uh, on Shivi'it, the person is not allowed to come onto the field and is not allowed. Now, how could this be? Isn't the fruit hefker? Okay, we're going to see this entire Mishnah is going to have two interpretations, one by Rav and Shemuel, one by Rabbi Yochanan and Neshakish. I'm going to explain it now according to Rav and Shemuel, the first explanation, and then we'll see the other way uh, to explain it. So in the first explanation, he's making a vow before Shivi'it, and because the fruit was already prohibited before Shivi'it started, that prohibition continues even, even during Shavi'it. It's kind of like um, a vow can make something hegdesh. It's not, it's consecrated, but when you make something consecrated to Betamikdash, it's prohibited to any, for everyone. But this is a, a, a focused uh, consecration that's prohibited to you only. And therefore, if it's hegdesh, even once Shavi'it started, and now it's hefked, and now no one owns it, even though I'm, as the owner of the field, I don't actually own it anymore. Nevertheless, since it was prohibited before Shavi'it starts, it's still prohibited. Okay, so that's the first clause. If he made the vow before Shavi'it, and so it was already prohibited before Shavi'it, then the friend, the, um, the, the, uh, the guest, cannot enter and cannot take any fruit. However, if I am the owner of the field, I make the vow during Shavi'it. In that case, the prohibition is lesser. You still cannot, I, t- I say you cannot have any benefit from me. You still cannot enter my field because my field is still mine, right? Even though I can't plant, I can't use it. But, you know, you can't just come in and build a house on my field. So my field is still mine, and I can still stop you from trespassing. Um, but you can eat from any produce that's leaning over. As long as it's leaning over my property line, over the fence, you can go and take a pomegranate and eat it. Why? Because since I made the vow on Shavi'it, and on Shavi'it, this, this uh, fruit is not even mine. I cannot prohibit you to you something that I don't own, right? Vows don't work like that. The only way a vow can work is either if I own it or if you own it. Um, then I can say, I will have no, you can have no benefit from me or I will have no benefit from you. But if there's something that someone else owns, I have no right, no possibility of saying that you can, you are prohibited from benefiting from someone else's item. 
And so that would be the case. The field is still mine. The fruit is not on Shavit because I didn't start the vow before Shavit started. Um, so I, once, if I make the vow on Shavit, it is only prohibited. Uh, it is only the land I can prohibit, but the fruit that is sticking out, you can take. Okay, that's all uh, the first clause. Second clause, And this variation, before Shavit, I didn't say that all my property is prohibited to you, that you can have no benefit. I only, uh, I only said that food, um, you are prohibited from benefiting from any of my food. In that case, In that case, even though I made the vow before Shavit started, I only prohibited the fruit. And the fruit will remain prohibited on Shavi'it, but because I only said food, you can come into my field, right, and um, the and walk around in the field, um, because lots of poor people, or everyone is going to be able to come into the field and walk around, and so I made no prohibition, and therefore I cannot um, I cannot stop you from entering the field, but the food prohibition would continue. But if I made a vow on Shavi'it itself about food then you can come into my field and you can eat the fruit because at the time that I made the vow, the food was already, the fruit is not mine, so I cannot impose a vow upon you. All right, good. That's the Mishnah according to one explanation uh, of Rav Ushmuel, Damre Tarvayu, and they're going to explain as follows. Rav and Shmuel from Babel say, Nechasim elu alecha. They're assuming that the Mishnah is talking about a case. See, the Mishnah does not specify what language I used for the vow. And they're saying that I used a vow of this property is permitted to you. As opposed to Rabbi Yochanan Shakish, they're from Eretz Yisrael, they're going to say, Nechasai, my field. We'll see what the difference is. That's going to make a big difference all the way at the end of the sugya. Um, and also during the sugya. Okay, but right now, uh, Rabbi Shemel says, talk when I, when I say, this field in general, whether I own it or not, is, is prohibited to you. Lifne um, Shavi'it, and I said that before Shavi'it started. Um, in that case, when I made the vow before Shavi'it, then before Shavi'it starts, and even during Shavi'it itself, you cannot come to my field and you cannot eat from that which grows on my field because once I make it prohibited to you and I do own it at that time, the prohibition continues even though I don't own it, own the, own the fruit anymore. Nadar, and if I said that language of prohibition of the vow on Shivit itself, and then you cannot you cannot come to my field because I do have a right to prohibit you to, for my field, even on Shivit, I still own the field, um, but I don't own the growth of it. Therefore, you can um, eat from the eat from that which grows on in the field, right? As long as you can get to it in some way. Uh, if it's like if it's hanging over the edge, then you can go ahead and take it. That's the interpretation of Rav and Shemuel. They say that when I made that vow originally, I didn't say this field, I only said my property, right? Whatever I own will be prohibited to you. So that makes a big difference. If I made the vow before Shavit started, then, then, before Shavit, I made the vow before Shavit, and during that time, before Shavit starts, well, now you're totally prohibited because it's my field, and it's my fruit, and I said you're prohibited from my field and my fruit, and therefore you cannot come in and you cannot eat anything. 
However, But the next clause in the Mishnah, is not talking about a case where I made the vow on Shevi'it itself, as Rabbi Shemuel explained it. Rather, it's talking still about when I, when I made the vow before Shevi'it started, but now, once Shevi'it start, starts, you still cannot come enter my field, because I still own my field, but you can eat the fruit. Um, even though I made the, fa- the vow beforehand, because I only said the language of my fruit is prohibited to you. But once Shavit starts, it's no longer my fruit, and now it's ownerless. So once it becomes ownerless, the vow does not apply to it. Even though I made the, sh- the vow beforehand, you're still allowed t- to eat it. And that would be cer- true, certainly, if I made the vow on Shavit itself, certainly you would be able to permit the fruit, but even Rav and Shemuel would, would permit that. Okay, so to sum up, the um, main difference between Rav and Shemuel from Bavel uh, versus Rabbi Yochanan Shakish from Eretz Yisrael is in the case where I made a vow before Shavuot started, um, and uh, and then Shavuot begins. So once Shavuot begins, what's the, they both would agree that you cannot enter my field. But what's the status of the fruit? Rav and Shemuel would say that the vow, since it was prohibited before, that vow continues into Shavuot, and you still cannot have fruit. Whereas Rabbi Yochanan Shakish will say that the vow only applied before Shavuot started, but once Shavuot begins, then it's ownerless and the fruit is permitted. Okay, now um, uh, note that we, they did assume different language, and we're going to say in the end of the sugya that actually they're not arguing on each other. They're both uh, about the halakha, uh, but rather they're both saying, if you said this language, the fruit would be prohibited because he said a general language. If he said nechasai alecha, where he says only my fruit, then it would be permitted because he limited it to when I own it. So in the end, they're not going to disagree on the halakha. halakha. They're only dis- going to disagree on what the Mishnah happens to be, happens to be talking about. So it's the interpretation of the Mishnah, but they would both agree that the law would be true if the, according to the other interpretation. All right, but until we get there, uh, we're going to have to go through a couple of steps to clarify some other issues. So, what is at the essence of their machloket? At first, we're assuming that they do have a controversy in, regarding the law itself. Must be Rav and Shemuel think that something that I prohibited when it was mine is prohibited even after I get rid of it. So if I said, hey, you cannot have any benefit from these bananas that are mine, all right, and I own the bananas, and even if I give them to someone else, so once I made it prohibited to you, that prohibition can continue even after I get rid of it. Similar to Hekdesh, that if I, make, I can make something that I own Hekdesh, even if then, then, well, actually, I don't own it anymore, but no matter what happens to it afterwards, it will be permanently prohibited to you, to everyone. So this is like a personal type of Hekdesh, that there is an inherent uh, prohibition, even after I sell it or give it away to someone, it remains. And that's why, even when I made the vow beforehand, since the fruit is prohibited from before Shavuot, even on Shavuot, although I don't own it anymore, it continues. And Shakish say, no, this prohibition of a vow is nothing like Hekdesh. It's just a monetary prohibition. This is mine. When it's mine, I can make a vow that you cannot own it. 
I mean, it's a prohibition. You cannot use it uh, because I made that vow, but I am only in control of that when I own it. If I sell it or give it to someone else, then that's it. Just like I couldn't make a prohibition if I don't own it, so too the prohibition will not continue once I don't own it. And therefore, even though I made this prohibited before Shavuot began, once Shavuot starts and now the fruit is, is not mine, it's ownerless, so the vow does not apply anymore. So is that the, the essence of their machloket? We're going to have a couple of problems with it. Really? Can you say that? Is there anyone who would actually say that a person cannot prohibit something that's in his possession and have the prohibition continue even after his prohibition? We're going to prove that everyone agrees that once I make a prohibition, there is a possibility of making it continue. So here's what proof number one. If it was true that Rabbi Yochanan and Reshakish think that it's impossible to make a prohibition uh, when it's mine and have it continue, then why did Rabbi Yochanan Shakish limit the Mishnah to a case of Nechasai Alecha when I say my Pro, my, my possessions are prohibited to you. It sounds like the reason why it's permitted, the fruit is permitted on Shavuot is because I said at the beginning, my fruit, my possessions are prohibited to you. And that way, once they're ownerless, they're not mine anymore. And that's the reason why they permit. And because so if they really thought that in all cases, uh, if it's not mine, the vow vanishes, then they should not have limited the Mishnah to when I say only Nechasai Alecha. They should have agreed with Rav and Rabbi Yochanan that the Mishnah is talking about a case of where, we, where I say Nechasim Elu, right? All my, these, these possessions, which he does own at the time, but he says these possessions are prohibited to you. And if he really, everyone thought that, if he thought that there's a distinction and once I don't own them, then the prohibition vanishes, vanishes, then the Mishnah would be true, even with that language. Nechasim elu, I say these possessions, Shavit starts, they're not in my possession anymore, so that's it, the vow vanishes. But he didn't say that, they didn't say that the Mishnah is talking about Nechasim elu, but limited the Mishnah to Nechasai Alecha. So it sounds like the reason why it's permitted, the fruit is permitted in, in Shavit is only because I made the more limited vow of my possessions. But if I said, all, all these possessions, then you're right. In fact, it would be prohibited on the, on the Shavuot itself. Okay, so that's proof number one that um, uh, nobody thinks that there's no, no possibility of making a vow uh, f- during my possession when it's in my possession and having the vow continue. It sounds like even Rabbi Yochanan Shakish would agree that if I said Nechasim Elu, then the fruit would be prohibited on Shavuot. Okay, that's problem number one. And second, Vetu Hatenan Dadam The Mishnah teaches that a person can make a prohibition on an item even after it leaves his his possession. We're gonna see that from the following Mishnah. Titnan Haumelibno Kunam Shatana Neli Met Yirashenu Bechayav Ubemoto Imet Lo Yirashenu. The Mishnah teaches that 
someone uh, gets into a fight with his son and he tells his son, uh, like a korban, that which you prohibit, you, you benefit from me. In other words, he tells his son, you cannot benefit me from me anything. I'm not giving you anything. Uh, so while the father is alive, then the son cannot benefit any at all from the father, cannot come over, cannot eat the father's food. However, once the father dies, then the son can inherit. Why? Because the father only said, my possession, the father only said, whatever is mine, you cannot have. Once the father dies, then uh, the, his possessions are not his anymore. In that case, the son is not benefiting from his father's property because his father is no longer alive and his property is not his anymore. And the son can inherit and can use the inheritance. Okay. However, if the father says, the father says, you can to the son, you can have no benefit from me during my life and even after my death. In that case, when the father dies, the son cannot inherit, right? Because the father explicitly said, not just you cannot benefit from me, you cannot benefit from anything, from my property, even after I die. Well, then that, that, in that case, it would continue. What we see from this Mishnah is that it's a general opinion of the Mishnah. Rabbi Yochanan Shakish cannot argue with the Mishnah that a prohibition made, it's true, you have to add this language, nevertheless, uh, you can make a prohibition and have it continue even uh, after you don't own it anymore. Okay, so we answer the second, uh, we have, so we have two questions on this. The second one we answer, Now maybe this is different because he said explicitly, in my lifetime and after my death. Whereas in our Mishnah here, he didn't, we don't say, it, he didn't say explicitly, you know, now and even after it's Hefked, or now even after I sell it. And so if he doesn't say in explicit language, then it will not continue after he owns it. But if he does use explicit language, yeah, then yes, Rabbi Yochanan Shakish would agree um, that he can, it can continue. All right, so we can try to figure out this, uh, uh, answer the second question, although this really doesn't um, answer the essence of the question of by what mechanism. Uh, if a vow can only apply when I own it, then even if I say that it will continue, it, it will continue after I, after, I, um, I'm not the owner of it anymore. Um, so, by what mechanism can it be prohibited? But let's say, or let's say we can answer that, and uh, we solve that question from that Mishnah. Nevertheless, the first question that we had from the language: um, Why did the Biochanel Shakish have to limit the Mishnah to where I say my possessions? Sounds like only when I say my possessions are prohibited to you. That's when you can eat the fruit during the, during Shavuot. But if I said more generally, this these possessions um, uh, are prohibited to you. This field, uh, then uh, it would continue even during she, during Shavuot. Um, so therefore, we're going to abandon. Um, this line of thinking. In fact, um, if the if I said you are prohibited from this property, then everyone, Rav and Shemuel, everyone would agree that the law is that that does continue. Okay, so we can't say that they argue about whether a prohibition can continue after it's not mine anymore. Everyone agrees that the, that it can continue, and so um, and so if they said nechasim elu, yes, it would continue, and the the fruit would be prohibited even during shavuot. Okay, ki peligi 
but maybe they only disagree when Rav and Biochanan and uh, Rav and Shmuel versus Biochanan and Shakish. Maybe they still would disagree when he says Benechasai. If I only said my possessions, then that that's that's the essence of the controversy. That's what they're disagreeing on the law. What would be the law in that case? Uh, so as follows: Rav Shmuel Sabre Lo Shena Nechasim Elu La Shena Nechasai Adam Oser. Rabbi Yochanan Shakish Sabre Nechasim Adam Oser Nechasai and Adam Oser. According to Rabbi Shmuel, it makes no difference what language you use, whether you say this property or you say my property. Your intention is that I want this to be prohibited to you, no matter what, whether it's mine or even after after I sell it or it becomes ownerless. Whereas the Bilkon to Yochanan Shakish, they say that if I said this property, then I mean to for it to be prohibited to you all any time. But if I say my property, then that's not my my intention. Is it it should only be prohibited while I own it. But if I sell it or give it away or it's owner list, then it would be prohibi- prohibited. Okay, so maybe that's why that would answer this question, and that's why according to Rav and Shemuel, this Mishnah is true only if I say my property. Alright, so we'll try this out, but we're going to reject it. This time we're going to ask a question against Rav and Shemuel. Is it really possible that anyone would say, uh, that Rav and Shemuel could say that there's a distinction between uh, the language of this property and my property. Here's a Mishnah that will prove otherwise. A person tells his friend, I'm making a prohibition like a korban that I will not enter your house, right? He says, your house uses the pronoun. Or your field I will not uh, buy. Okay, so he specified yours. Now, met mutar. In that case, um, if I made a vow against you and you die or you sell the field, then it's permitted, right? Because it's no longer yours. If the owner of the field either dies or he sells it, so it's no longer his, and then I can enter the house and I can buy it. Okay, so we see already here that the pronoun makes a big difference. Now, if he says, If, on the other hand, I don't say your house, but I say this house. It happens to be the one that you own right now. But I say, this house I will not enter, or this field I will not buy. And I don't say who the owner is. In that case, if the owner of the house or the owner of the, of the field dies or sells the field to someone else, it remains prohibited no, no matter what. Okay, what we see from here is that there is clearly a distinction according to the Mishnah, and the Rav and Shemuel do not have the authority to argue on against the Mishnah. It's clear that there is a distinction between adding a pronoun and not adding the pronoun. Now, it's true, this case is slightly different because this is where I am using a pronoun about your property, whereas the cases before were uh, where, where I'm using a pronoun to make you prohibited to my property, but it's the same principle, and therefore we reject this hypothesis. Um, uh, and it cannot be that uh, that the Mora uh, that from Bavel are arguing on the case of Nechasai and that they interpret differently. No, everybody would agree that if I say my property, 
I mix, it's different, it's, it's more limited than if I say this property. So, the conclusion is that, in fact, the Rav and Shemuel and Rabbi Yochanan do not disagree regarding the law. They all agree that um, uh, if I said nechasai, I said my field is prohibited to you, and then, then I limit it to when it's mine, because it makes a difference when I add the pronoun, and therefore once Shavit starts, while you can't enter the field, but you can eat the fruit, because I only made the vow against my fruit, and now I don't own the fruit. And everybody would agree with that, that's the law. And similarly, everyone would agree that if I said this field is prohibited, um, then that would include the field and the fruit. And if I said that before Shavuot, then the prohibition will continue even on Shavuot, even though it's ownerless, because I didn't say mine, I said this fruit. Since I had a right to prohibit it to you when I owned it before Shavuot, that does continue even during Shavuot, and everyone would agree with that law. Okay, so what do they disagree about? They're only disagreeing on which case is this Mishnah happened to be talking about. The Mishnah is ambiguous, doesn't say exactly what the language is, and also there's more than one way of reading um, the consequences in the Mishnah when it says um, on Shavuot, does that mean I made the vow on Shavuot? Or that uh, what happens if I made the vow before Shavuot, can I eat it on Shavuot? So since the Mishnah is ambiguous, it can be equally read both ways. But both ways of reading it are true. In other words, they both lead to a true conclusion. So we can, if we uh, go back to the Biudanasi, we can ask him, which one did you mean? Um, uh, but in the end, it won't really matter because both ways of reading it lead to a correct halacha, a unanimous halacha, in fact. Um, and so it's good. Now we get to learn more than one thing from the Mishnah, and everybody agrees, agrees with each other. So this is. Um, a happy day for everyone. All right, last section of the Mishnah. On the Anshavit itself, it says, everyone agreed that I cannot enter the field, uh, enter your field. And in this case, it wouldn't matter whether I made the vow before or made the vow on uh, Shavit or what language I used. I cannot enter the field because um, only the fruit is ownerless. So now, uh, so the fruit is ownerless. Now we're asking, wait a second, what about the field? Hold on, this whole time we were assuming that the, f- the fruit is different from the field. But actually, what's the difference? Um, if I can eat from the, the, that which grows because the fruit is ownerless, actually, during the Shemitah year, the land also is ownerless. I cannot use it, I cannot plant it, and everyone is allowed to come in to take the fruit. So isn't the land itself also ownerless? We're going to see two answers. Amar Ula, Be'omdim ilanot al hagevulim. Ula says, no, the land is not actually ownerless. I own it. It's true, anyone is allowed to enter the land in order to take fruit, but only in order to take fruit. So, if there is fruit available on the edges, and uh, you can just come to the edge and, uh, and, and reach up and take some fruit, then you're not permitted to enter the land. So, you are allowed to take fruit, and therefore, if you need to enter the land because all my trees are inside the land, then yes, you can take it. Um, but our Mishnah is talking about a case where you don't need to enter the land, right? If, in fact, they, you, you had to, it would be permitted because since the fruit is allowed, then the land, own, the right to trespass is also permitted to get to fruit. 
But Amrish happened to be talking about where the fruit's on the edges and you don't have to enter the land, and that's why in all cases you cannot enter the land. That's Ula's answer. Rabbi Shimon ben Eliakim Amar Gezera Shema Ba'amida. Rabbi Shimon says a different uh, answer. It could even be where the fruit, uh, where the trees are in the middle of the land, and therefore, technically, Midoraita, you would be allowed to enter. The, uh, the, the land to go and get the fruit, even though I made a prohibition that you can have any, not have any benefit from me. On Shemitah, I don't own the fruit, and I have no right to stop you from trespassing in order to get the fruit. However, the rabbis made a gezerah. If we allow a person to enter the land to get fruit, then we're afraid they're going to not stay the minimum amount of time. They're going to linger there. They're going to go and pick some uh, pomegranates, and then they're going to say, oh, what a nice uh, orchard this is. What a nice field. And they're going to start talking there and, and admiring and hanging out. And then that would violate a prohibition of, uh, of the vow, because I said you cannot have any benefit from me. So even though I had made the vow, that you can benefit from me. And you're right, it is eat, and therefore you're allowed to come take the fruit because, let's say I say my fruit, right? You can have my fruit, so you can come and take the fruit on eat. Very good. Um, uh, and that would even mean, technically, you can come in and uh, so, so that you can take the fruit. That's part of the right of the fruit is the, is the right to access the fruit. Nevertheless, the rabbi said, if there is a vow against you, then you cannot walk in because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's too likely that you'll, you'll be hanging around and therefore violate the vow itself. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.